This is Against All Enemies, a show about threats to American democracy. Political violence is on the rise. An alarming percentage of Americans believe they may have to take up arms against their neighbors. Some are already doing so. Against All Enemies highlights the activities of extremist organizations and their enablers. Our goal is to educate, not to alarm. The threats are real. But if we know what we are up against, together we can beat them. It's Ken Harbaugh with Against All Enemies on the Midas Touch Network. I've got combat vet and former intel officer Mike Breen back on the show to talk about the standoff between National Guard units activated by Republican governors and the federal government led by our president. It's a constitutional crisis in the making. The most frustrating thing about it, though, is that it is largely political theater, an election year performance by Republican governors who aren't actually that interested in solving problems at the border. Republicans in the Senate actually negotiated a border security deal that included tremendous concessions by Democrats, but under pressure from former President Trump, that deal was tanked, at least for now. Here are Republican Senators Lankford and Cassidy blasting their caucus for caving to Trump's bullying. The former president calls this a betrayal. Is that a, what do you think of that characterization? It's, it's certainly not a betrayal, actually. We've got to be able to deal with issues in law. That's how we actually deal with things in America. Does he have access to the bill? Doesn't seem that way. It hasn't been released. How does he know it's a betrayal if he hasn't read it? I mean, don't be ignorant. Read the bill. And that last comment is from Senator Cassidy referring to a comment that former President Donald Trump made over the weekend referring to that Senate bipartisan deal as a betrayal. But you're hearing pushback from there, Dana. But nevertheless, that is really driving so much of the discussion, the debate that is happening behind closed doors. And expect that debate to continue in just a matter of minutes when Senate Republicans gather behind closed doors to figure out whether to abandon this bipartisan deal altogether because of Trump's opposition and also the Speaker's opposition. Even more concerning than the inability of Republicans in Washington to govern is the way red state governors seem to be inviting a constitutional crisis. When it comes to control of the National Guard, some of them are talking openly now of a military confrontation with the federal government. Here's the governor of Oklahoma now saying the quiet parts out loud. My conversation with Mike Breen, who, as usual, does a fantastic job dismantling the Republican argument, is right after. There's rumblings that Joe Biden should or may actually federalize the National Guard, take that power away from Greg Abbott. Let's say this showdown, I mean, that's what it is. It's a showdown. It's a showdown of power and loyalties and constitutionality. Let's say he does that. How many people say, no, you know what? Screw you, Biden administration. And how many people stay and fight with Texas versus the federal things? And does that put us on course for a force-on-force conflict? I mean, right right now, you've got uh, the federal agents that are cutting the wire, and then you've got the Texas National Guard on orders to put up wire. I mean, this is a this is a counter uh, uh, a powder keg worth of uh, tension. So it's very uh, it, it, it's it's a very weird situation. We certainly stand with uh, with Texas on their right to defend themselves, um, but Biden's going to be in a tough situation. So, in other words, he's going to try to federalize these troops. In other words, put them on federal orders and so now their allegiance technically goes to the president of the united states instead of the governor um and of course i think a lot of texans these are still 
Um, there's still yeah. Texans that are weekend. Uh, you know, they're in a national guards. They do one weekend a month or when they get called up on duties by the governor. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think they would be in a difficult situation to protect their homeland or to follow what Biden's saying. Yeah, literally I, I open it. Very interesting. But then, you know, then you've got Oklahoma and Florida and Tennessee, and you got all these other states that would send our national guard uh, to help and and to support the efforts of uh, of uh, Governor Abbott. So, Mike, you're a combat vet. Did you ever imagine during all your years of service that we would reach a point where we're actually listening to supposedly serious people, the governor of Oklahoma, contemplate? the confrontation between state guard members and the active duty federal military. It is, I, I never imagined we would be where we are today. No, me neither. I mean, of course not. Of course not. I mean, um, what do you even say? I mean, the, the first thing that comes to mind really is, I mean, we're, we're both, parents, right? So, you know, I spent a lot of time outside with my family. So I got to teach my girls to be safe with fire when we go camping, you know, you teach them not to play with fire. And the, the thing is, you do have to explain to kids that just because they played with fire once and got away with it doesn't mean it's now safe. And I feel like that's what we see with, with a lot of these political leaders. Um, they're like kids playing with matches. And every time they get away with it and the house doesn't burn down, they think it's okay. I, I don't know whether it's occurred to these people how incredibly, incredibly badly this could end up. Um, and, I, you know, I, it, there's a lot of people involved, but the, I, I keep thinking about Josh Hawley throwing the fist bump to the January 6th crowd and then, you know, leaving, right, getting himself out of there. Um, and the look on his face, it's like a kid with a book of matches. So we'll see if it goes up this time, but pitting border patrol agents, you know, sworn federal officers against members of the national guard of a state circulating letters that talk about secession, you know, going head to head with the Supreme court, uh, you know, encouraging convoys of armed Americans to get together and start driving for the border as part of a quote unquote army of God. Uh, this is bad movie stuff. This is stuff we would have laughed at in a bad movie 10 years ago. The religious element really scares me because it's so uncompromising. And I think you and I both read the article that pointed out, I'll put a link to it in the show notes, that Army of God, which is this loose amalgamation of, of militia members and, and other um, border zealots and extremist groups, that is a a direct translation of Hezbollah, which in Arabic means army of God. And I think we need to call out that kind, that level of fanaticism, which we're seeing here. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think two things when I see this stuff. One, a lot of these people obviously had very different Sunday school teachers than I did. Right? But two, uh, you know, when I was wearing the uniform, I ran into a few armies of God. One of them was Hezbollah, you know, the sons of the martyrs The you know, it's, uh, it, it is, it is scary stuff. You start arming up, you know, and, and, and quoting scripture, um, it becomes very difficult to back down. And 
and it does speak to a level of fanaticism. Um, I, I am all for engaging as a citizen on the basis of, of the moral teachings of one's religion. And I think that's a wonderful thing. But there's a tipping point when you start waving, you know, the quote unquote banner of God and calling people to arm up uh, in the same breath. I mean, I, you know, I've seen that none of the people doing it were on my side. Right. I have too. And that's what scares me the most because you just cannot negotiate with that kind of fanaticism. I wonder if, if it might be a little different here, though, when I look at these militia members, I just get the sense that it is, for now, still a game for so many of them. Like it seems to be a game for Greg Abbott and A.G. Paxton and the governor of Oklahoma who have these these almost Civil War fetishes. But like Hawley, who I think we have to keep going back to because that's the avatar for this this entire shtick, the moment the the bullets start flying, they are the first to hide behind the barricades. That's absolutely right. And, and it always starts this way. That's the thing. I and mean, it seems like a game. It seems like a lark, right? Right up till it's not. Um, I mean, the same article you mentioned, and you can't point this out enough, points out the first battle of the Civil War, first Manassas. You know, half the half the uh, the aristocratic classes on both sides, from Richmond to NDC, packed up picnic lunches to go watch the glorious battle. They thought it was going to be a lark. They thought the war would be over, and it ends in the most blood-soaked conflict in American history. You know, it starts with let's let's pack a picnic lunch for for First Manassas, and it ends at you know the wheat field in Antietam, <laughs> where you know, hundreds of thousands of people are dropping an hour. Um, so it, again, it's like children playing with fire and I, I have to say, I, I look at who our political leaders are and the life experiences that too many of them have had. And I just, I, I don't see any wisdom or character born of any kind of real experience in those people. Um, you, you can't, I don't think you, you can be a moral person or even a remotely intelligent person, see some of the stuff that you and I and many others have seen and decide that this is a game worth playing. But, you know, I, I guess that's, uh, that's just not where a lot of people are. The theatrics are also a huge sign of disrespect to those in uniform, to those being asked to go carry out this theater. Uh, to those who are leaving their families and deploying to the border as as some kind of uh, performance. And I don't think that's talked about often enough. And as veterans, I, I think we need to to share that perspective and get our buddies to do it too. This is hugely disrespectful to those who are actually being asked to go downrange. Definitely. And we're talking about the guard, right? These guys have jobs. They have families. You know, they they signed on the line and raised their right hand in the expectation that they would be called up to do serious things in the event of serious problems. Um, you know, I, it's it's got to be a pretty strange experience, right? And imagine you're the battalion commander in the Texas Army National Guard and you're trying to figure out what your rules of engagement are while you're standing around looking at Border Patrol guys who, you know, 
in some cases are probably guys you know. <laughs> they might be your neighbors. They might be guys you went to college with. Uh, it's a bizarre situation to be placed in. Very bizarre and extremely dangerous. Hi, everyone. I want to give a big shout out to all those who have signed up to support this show through my Patreon page. We are off to a fantastic start. Thank you for making it possible. And if you haven't subscribed, I hope you'll consider it. In the coming months, I'll be posting early and exclusive content, including a trailer for the Against All Enemies documentary film, which has been racking up awards at film festivals around the world and will soon be released here in the U.S. Stand by for more details on that. And if you're a subscriber to my Patreon page, be on the lookout for an early preview. Thanks again, everyone. And it is already a matter of life and death for for those incredibly vulnerable victims who are who are trying to cross the border. I mean, we had the incident several weeks ago where federal agents tried to intervene to save uh, a a family. I believe it was a, a mother and two small children that ended up drowning in the river after the state of Texas said they couldn't help. I mean, this isn't just a game for some people. Not at all. I mean, the, the border is a deadly and dangerous place. And it is a place where people, not just from Central America or Mexico, people from all over the world. And I think this is something that most Americans don't appreciate about what's going on at the southern border. People make global journeys from places like Afghanistan to try to claim asylum in the United States. You imagine what that's like, the journey that you have to go through. Um, people who, if they're deported back, will be shot on sight by groups like the Taliban from every country in the world. I mean, if you go to the the Mexican side of the border and you visit migrant shelters and you talk with people, you're going to meet people from all over the planet. And they have chosen to come to the United States because they still believe that this is a country worth risking everything to be part of and a place that has values that they think might embrace them. And these are people that, contrary to all the right-wing talking points, these are people that add to our tax base. They add to our economy. They're disproportionately likely to start businesses. They're less likely to commit crimes. Th these are people you want as your neighbors. Um, so, so to then turn around and put their lives at risk and to, to stand by where their children drown, um, while you talk about the Statue of Liberty and wave the flag is perverse beyond belief. It is. And I would, I would take that a step further and say, I can't think of a better citizenship test than walking a thousand miles barefoot. I'd be honored to have those kinds of neighbors. And I do. And when I compare that to the cosplay militia members who are willing to kill them to keep them out, uh, there's there's no contest in my mind about who better embodies the ideals of being American. Maybe not the letter of the law, which needs to be reformed, but what it actually should mean uh, to to live the American dream. Absolutely. And you mentioned the law. Part of what's really perverse about what Texas and, and others have done here is they've created a lot of barriers for these folks to follow the law. The law says you ought to be able to walk up to a port of entry, look a U.S. official in the eye, the first one you meet, and say, I claim asylum. And that triggers, you have a legal right to do that 
under international law and under U.S. law, and that triggers a legal process where a judge decides if your claim is valid. And a lot of what we see now is obstacles placed in the path of people who just want to do that. That's all they want to do. Most of the encounters that are happening on the border right now, it's fair to say, uh, when people avoid these checkpoints and swim the river, it's not that's not their first option. Uh, it's because they can't, you know, most of these people are trying to find somebody wearing the flag so that they can claim that right. Um, and, you know, some of them are doing that and they don't meet the requirements, in which case we have a, we have a system for that. We have an entire system for that. It's underfunded by Congress. There's a backlog, but that's easy to fix. Um, but this chaos at the border is in so many ways uh, created intentionally. We have systems that work. We're just not funding them and we're not using them. And states are placing obstacles in the way of those systems doing what they're supposed to do. Talk about the political ramifications of that chaos. And I mean, specifically as it relates to the 2024 presidential election, because we are hearing now that there is being placed on Congress a ton of pressure by former President Trump himself to maintain the crisis at the border, to continue the crisis at the border as an election ploy. Yeah, that's right. That's right. The politics are disgusting, right? So first, they've commingled a border crisis that they in many ways created through previous failures to fund the system and all kinds of other things, um, commingled that with aid for Ukraine and other embattled democracies in around the world and a whole bunch of foreign policy priorities that we all care about. And they've tried to use Ukraine as a hostage situation along with the Middle East. Right? Okay, so th th that's, that's pretty bad. Then they've tried to sabotage the negotiations by inserting illegal and extremely draconian measures that would end the right to asylum for all practical purposes and create a border system that you know, no reasonable person wants to accept. But that didn't tank the negotiations fast enough. So now the former president and, and you know, Mr. Trump, right, is telling them to walk away from the very legislation that they, they have forced this, this negotiation because he's afraid that, that there, a solution might be reached of some kind. And he wants this chaos because like every rising demagogue ever, he wants to break the system so that he can claim he's the only one who can fix it. He wants to plunge the country into total chaos and then walk in like some kind of savior. Everybody who wants to take power from a demagogue angle or an extremist angle tries this. Um, it's a, it's a tough comparison, but I'll make it anyway. Um, Al-Qaeda in Iraq's strategy was to start a civil war that would force the Sunni ethnic group to turn to them to protect them because nobody wanted anything to do with them in 2003, 2004. So they started a, a sectarian civil war so that they could emerge as the saviors of Sunni Iraqis, right? This is the playbook. You create a disaster. And then you position yourself as the only one who can fix it. Trump's doing it in the open right now with the border. Um, you know, forget the specifics. The specifics are terrible. The border deal that was being negotiated is probably a terrible deal. I don't think it's going to happen anyway. Uh, we at Human Rights First have been opposed to a lot of the measures we've heard might be in it because there are better ways to solve our border problem than just punishing people who've already been punished. 
right? But all that said, you can't forget the big picture. He is stoking a crisis on purpose. And I don't think it's an accident that every time an election is coming up, border numbers surge. Misinformation and disinformation campaigns don't only happen inside the United States. When the word goes out in the, in the community in Central America, when the word comes out, goes out among the community of people seeking asylum, that now is the time to go to the border. Now is the time to make your crossing. Uh, I have a lot of questions about where that word comes from and how coordinated that is. I don't have any facts for you, but it sure looks pretty suspicious that we get a quote unquote invasion every single time Trump or someone like him wants to stoke this issue into a, to his political advantage. Where can people learn more about Human Rights First and what can they do to help? We're at humanrightsfirst.org. Um, we always need your financial resources, of course. We're a nonprofit. We don't take government funding. We maintain our independence and we do this work with your support. Um, if you're a veteran, if you're a lawyer, if you're a technologist who wants to build technology for the human rights movement with us, if you're an activist, uh, if you're just somebody who wants to pitch in, we can use your skills. This is a place, this is an organization where we will put you to work, not just ask you for your money or your active protest. We are doing real work with our sleeves rolled up and we need your help. Thanks so much, Mike. Uh, really proud of the work you're doing. We'll keep tracking. Let's talk again soon. Thanks so much, Ken. Appreciate it.